of the Paper Cuts podcast. Once again, it's just Dan and me alone on our own in a room full of sexual tension. <laughs> it's palpable. It is, it is. Uh, Evan has some sort of coughing bug where he's just coughing up jelly beans all day. Just all day. <laughs> and by, very strange. And by jelly beans, I mean terrible, terrible mucus. But jelly beans <laughs> sounds nicer. So with any... Uh, any further ado we're gonna talk about some comics today we got some new ones out that we thought were really interesting and we're gonna share them with you dan i leave the floor to you all right well i'll start with uh, amazing spider-man number 12 uh, this week it is part four of the current spider-verse crossover that's going on and for those of you that don't know the spider-verse storyline basically is that there are spider hunters going throughout the different universes. And the one that we were most familiar with at the start of the story was uh, Morlun, who is a villain back from J. Michael Straczynski's run on Spider-Man probably like 10 or so years ago now. But his whole job basically is to kill and consume the life force of, they call them totems, right? Like they represent this idea of like... You know, the, the spider is a totem for this sort of power. Right. Right. And Spider-Man just happens to be the carrier of or the representative of this totem. So Morlun and his family's job is to go around to the different universes and kill these spiders. So what that leaves you with is a massive crossover with a ton of different spider men and women. And it's it's been pretty fun so far. The reason that I wanted to focus on this issue, though, was because, you know, looking at what books were coming out this week, it was like, oh, there's going to be, there's a big back page, like the last page is Amazing Spider-Man number 12. This is a big deal, right? So the issue itself is good. The The writing's done by uh, Dan Slott, and the artwork is done by Giuseppe Camicoli. And yeah, it, it looks great. Uh, Cam Coley's a really good artist for Spider-Man. It's it's a lot more of not necessarily like an anime style, but but a lot more cartoony. It kind of how Spider-Man should be, right? It should be a lot more fun and fluid and and kind of bouncy. And Umberto Ramos has been doing a lot of work on the Amazing Spider-Man books. His work's really good. Cam Coley's very similar art style. Dan Slott's been writing Spider-Man, I think, for the last 50 years now. It seems like he's like it's, always it's been, been on a, the book. I want to say it's like eight or nine years. It's it's a very long time for someone to write a book. You know, a lot of times these days you see writers on a book for what? You know, maybe three or four uh, arcs, and then that's it. When you see people like Dan Slott, Scott Snyder, even Jeff Johns back when he was doing his Green Lantern stuff, it takes talent and someone to really like your book a whole fucking lot to stay on a book for nine <laughs> years well and yeah i mean it it's nice too because like slot is getting to tell a complete story right it's not just that he came in with well i have an idea for an arc and then i'll see if i can come up with another idea for another arc this is a spider-man mythos he, you know he's adding fucking spokes to the wheel as it were so it's it's just kind of nice to see and to get that consistency because dan slot's a damn fine writer and he does a great job with spider-man he oh, really yeah, has the characters nailed 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Dan Slott is definitely a very talented human being as far as writing goes. He's again, he's been doing Spider-Man for such a long time. What he says goes that that is the mythos, and Dan's right. You know, when someone's doing something for this long, they're building the universe up. It's not just they're adding their take on one arc or whatever. They're they're literally this is their thing. They're the story keeper here. Yeah, it's and you know I, I, he's just he's doing very very good work. Some some better than others, obviously. You're gonna have your ups and downs, but but good work. And for for this issue, you like it's kind of a halfway point in the crossover, and that's usually where these crossovers tend to to come off the rails a bit. Is you you get about halfway, and it's like, all right, well, where do we pad the story? And there's a little bit of story padding in this issue. I mean, there's there's some stuff where it's like, hey, want to see what happens in this particular scene? Check out Spider-Woman. Or, you know, hey, this is referenced in this thing over here. But overall, the story, it's it's pretty well self-contained. Like, if, if you haven't been reading Spider-Verse, this will be a, a decent um, introduction for you. One of the, uh, one of the coolest Spider-Men that comes over, they, they pull one from an alternate universe, Japan... And not only does do you have the Spider-Man analog in this alternate universe, Japan, but he's got a giant spider mech. And it's like, all right, that's fucking awesome. It's a big, giant spider robot. Like, I, that's really cool. I, I feel like that has to qualify. If he's coming from Japan, he either needs to be named, like, Yami Yami Spider-Man or have a giant <laughs> spider robot. Well, thankfully, they didn't go with Yami Yami Spider-Man. That's... Oh, that's a fantastic name, but I, dude, I, yeah. I'd ship it. <laughs> but so yeah, giant, giant spider robot, and the whole the whole point of the story is that there are, there is the scion that they're trying to find, the last child born in all the multiple realities that will have spider powers, and the family is, is trying, the hunters are are trying to kill them, and and there's a lot, you know, I don't want to go too into it because there's been a ton of issues so far that have come out in this crossover but the big thing in this one is that silk who is a relatively new character in in the spider-man story comes from what what would be the the 616 universe like the typical marvel universe that we think of and she had been in a bunker in the middle of new york city for years and had never been outside of this bunker because the mentor to to Peter, uh, this guy Ezekiel had built this bunker for her to protect her and keep her hidden away from the hunters, from Morloon specifically. So eventually she gets out. And now she's part of the spider universe and, and all that shit. We go to an alternate reality and at the very end of the issue, spoilers, if you haven't read it yet, go out and read it now and come back and listen. They find the bunker in this alternate reality and they open it up and Peter, our Peter says, you know, your bunker's about to get a little bit more crowded. And she was like, you don't even know the half of it because the totem of this world was already here and the panel flips and it's fucking uncle Ben. And he says, stop. Hey, Peter. Yeah. Oh, no shit, stop. Right? So, oh, man. Yeah. So I don't know how to feel about that. Because on the one hand, 
it's an alternate reality. So that's kind of cool. It's like, all right, we get to see some, you know, some Peter and Uncle Ben stuff. Because, mm-hmm. like, that that's the big the big problem that I've always had with Spider-Man. And, and Bendis fixed it in the Ultimate Spider-Man book when he launched that, is that we know that Uncle Ben is, like, the single most important character in Peter Parker's life. Yet he was on all of three panels worth of interaction in the first Spider-Man story. You know, it's like, oh, here's my uncle. Oh, he's dead. This defines my life. And we, as readers, don't really have a reason to care. Well, I, I mean, that's that's the one thing about, I, I guess, Batman and Spider-Man. That's sort of the running joke of the books is that, you know, you have... Uh, we'll go with Batman first. Bruce Wayne's parents, who, more or less, they're... It's just a, a detail, but they're what makes Bruce Wayne Batman. This is the reason uh-huh. that he became the Dark Knight. And they're really just a, a, a memory that you see flashbacks of every now and again. The same thing with Spider-Man. It's the reason that you know Peter Parker became Spider-Man, not just some sideshow attraction at a wrestling uh, exhibit somewhere, <laughs> which wouldn't have been bad at all if it had Macho Man there all the time. Give him the bone saw. Mm, yeah, bone saws ready. <laughs> but uh, you know that's the thing. Like, is is Dan Slott doing more harm than good doing this? Because again, that's the one constant that Spider Man always had is that Uncle Ben has always been dead as a doorknob. And uh, is is you know what? I trust Dan Slott because. He obviously has some plan going on if he wants to bring back the one constant that's always been there. So I guess we'll see what yeah. happens. And it's definitely a jaw dropper, to say the least. Yeah, it definitely was. Like, you know, like I said, I read this issue and wanted to focus on it because the internet told me that there was going to be like some jaw dropping shit at the end of it. And I was like, all right, that fucking qualifies. And and you're right. Like, I, I totally trust Dan Slott on this. Like, I, I believe that Mr. Slott has enough respect for the story and for the character and what's come before to not shit all over it. We should get those yeah. Obama t-shirts where, like, it said believe in the multiple colors with his face on it, but instead <laughs> just put Dan Slott's face and put believe. I'm in. Can we sell them? Hell yeah, we can. I think uh, I think Dan Slott would be all right with it. He's a big fan of the show. Uh, obviously, obviously. Dan Slott, Warren Ellis, we're just adding them all up lately. Yeah, no, well, I mean, you know, it's a decent show, and, and we're likable guys. We are, we are. We have a growing listenership of authors every, every week. <laughs> we really do. Apparently, that's so. all that listens to the show, just authors <laughs> of comic books, because they want to know what we think about this book. That's right. They like to hear the uh, the giant audio circle jerk that is uh, <laughs> us reviewing their books every week. Of course, of course. <laughs> uh, wh- so yeah, I, overall, like it was a really good issue. Like I really enjoyed it. You know, it's um, it, it's in the middle of a crossover. So if you're not re- reading Amazing Spider-Man, that may feel a little daunting, but it's not really that in depth of a story. There's a lot of spiders it, throughout the universe. People are trying to kill them. Go that's that's really the crux of your story there so you know i i would definitely suggest picking it up just to see where the hell this goes because i I can't imagine that uncle ben will become a fixture in the marvel universe again that would be i i just can't see that happening but i'm curious to see where this does go i'd have to agree that uh that seems like an interesting 
plot point, but not something that they should bring back as a constant. Yeah, I think it'll be good for for the rest of this crossover, and and there you go. Like, if if I had to make a prediction, I would have, I'm gonna guess that Uncle Ben is gonna sacrifice himself to save Peter. So you know you'll get the uh, the the tragedy all over again, but this time we'll actually have a reason to care about it. Go home, Uncle Ben. You're drunk. You're drunk, you old man. <laughs> so. Okay. Uh, I mean that that definitely <laughs> sounds like an exciting book. Uh, I'm I I recommend that to anyone. I did happen to flip through it a little bit beforehand, but I didn't get to the end of the book. So I'm super excited to just just see the panels and everything and see how that leads up into it. So yeah, if you get a chance, check out the Amazing Spider-Man by Dan Slott, who's been writing the book for so long that I was a kid when he started on that. <laughs> Like literally, you're not even being facetious. There. No, you were no, literally I, a small child. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? I tell you what, it takes talent to be on a book that long because they don't stick writers on books like that for all that long unless you own the comic company. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, really. Yeah, you know, I, I to be honest, I could count on a single hand. You know, people who have had runs like that. And one of them is, who is it, Todd McFarlane, who, to be honest, I mean, he made Image Comics what it is. So, eh, you could probably do whatever you want at that point. Yeah. But, yeah, 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 you know, uh, it's definitely a cool book, and I I would recommend that one to anyone wanting to read some spider stuff with a different spin on it. Definitely a different spin. Uh, So, Dan, what's your other book? Fire away. Uh, Well, the other book this week... And it, it's really, it's the perfect time for this character to come back and get an ongoing series. And, and they've tried many times previously, and they, they haven't really stuck all that well. But with the movie coming out later this year, the time is right for an ongoing Ant-Man book. And Ant-Man number one came out this week from Nick Spencer doing the writing and Ramon Rosanas doing the artwork. And it was awesome. It was so good. Like, Nick Spencer is is a really talented writer he he has a book a couple books that he did at image that really brought him to the forefront the the biggest one being morning glories which is still going on which is just this really weird and really awesome book and everybody should check that out but he's been doing a lot of superhero work for marvel and his latest thing is this ongoing ant-man story and this is uh scott lang as Ant-Man, this is the character that Paul Rudd will be playing in the film. And before we jump into the book, did you see the Ant-Man trailer? Or the the teaser? I did. What did you think? I like it, and I love Paul Rudd. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% on board for this movie. Because, let's be honest, Ant-Man, and, and they cover this in the book. Like, in the first couple of panels and pages of the book, like the internal monologue that Ant-Man has going on is like, yeah, so uh, about the name. Not necessarily the coolest thing in the world. And the powers, not always the coolest powers in the world. Like, you're standing at a party, and there's an immortal god who controls thunder, and I talk to ants, and I can get small. You know, and they, they hit on that in the in the trailer as well, where Paul Rudd is talking to Michael Douglas, and he's like, Ant-Man, can we do something about the name? Because it's, it's fucking weird. Like, it's just a very strange... It, Spider-Man sounds cool. Iron yeah. Man sounds cool. Ant-Man sounds like, why the fuck do I 
care about that. Well, yeah, exactly. And I mean, you need someone charismatic to play that character to pull it off correctly. You know, to be honest, really anyone could have played Captain America or Thor as long as they had enough bravado to do it or, you know, machismo. For someone like Ant-Man, you need that specific personality to play someone like that to really ham it up and make it a movie worth watching. Yeah, Ant-Man needs a good, watchable actor. And, you know, there's there's a lot of these guys that, you know, like you said, I, I think Chris Evans has done an amazing job as Captain America. I think, you know, uh, Chris Hemsworth has done an, an amazing job as Thor. But I could see where maybe you could get some other guys to play those roles. Paul Rudd, I think, is going to put a, a pretty definitive stamp on Scott Lang and on Ant-Man. That, that's the thing. You know, you look at Iron Man, there's only one Iron Man, and it's it's Robert Downey yeah. Jr. You know, he, yeah. he plays it perfectly, and to be honest, he's an irreplaceable character in that, you know, cinematic universe. I, I, and I think Paul Rudd can do the same thing for Ant-Man and leave a memorable mark on that character. Yeah, and, and let's also not gloss over the fact that the first teaser trailer that they released was ant-sized. It was so tiny that you couldn't even fucking see it, which is just oh, yeah, it was hilarious. adorable. That's adorable. But anyway, the, the book itself, um, it was very, uh, it's very narrative focused. It's very heavy on internal monologue, almost like Ant-Man is writing himself like a cool blog about his day. Um, and it's not like it's not done in the style of like blog posts or anything. It's just Ant-Man is very hip and the the conversation that the internal conversation that he's having is a very hip and modern sounding conversation. And it works uh, for this character. And basically he goes through his entire life story while he is talking about a job interview that he's gone on because Scott Lang, the the. Scott Lang character has been a felon. He's been an Avenger. He's been a member of the Future Foundation. He is a valued member of a lot of these teams. And, you know, but he's not, he doesn't stick around, right? Ant-Man is not like the guy where you're like, Thor, Captain America, and Ant-Man this week in Avengers. You know, it's, he's kind of a, a tertiary character and, and just kind of always out on the outside like popping like hey i'm ant-man hello i'm here to help i've got ants and then he kind of pisses off for a while and you don't see him so the, there's a lot of explanation about his backstory to try and catch new readers up and and that sort of thing and they do a really good job you know he he was good at stealing stuff and then he got married so he stole more stuff and then he had a kid and he stole more stuff to pay for that and then he went to jail and his wife left him and took his daughter who is cassie lang who um if we, anybody has read the Young Avengers stuff that's stature from Young Avengers. She was dead for a while. She's back now. Uh, Scott Lang was dead for a while. He's back now because, you know, comic books and reasons. And basically, he's just going through a job interview to work for Tony Stark. And this is current in continuity, douchebag, West Coast, Tony Stark. Like, flipped after the axes. And Tony is looking for a new head of security. And Ant-Man basically says, like, look, I'm, I'm the perfect guy for this. I can, I, I, I've been a master thief. I can shrink down to super small sizes. You know me. And Tony's like, eh, I don't know if you're right for the job, dude. Like, I wouldn't bet on you. I've got some other people that are coming in to interview for it, and I'll give you a shot. Right? 
so they go through the thing and obviously ant-man is the one who gets the thing you know like he there's the new female beetle that he beats out and an x-men and uh victor mancha who is one of the runaways and there's this whole big point they they break through there's like all the your typical spy movie stuff of like getting through the lasers and it does a nice job of showing ant-man being able to shrink down to a small size and get on the back of an ant and the ant can just fly him through the lasers so it's pretty easy and opening up these giant doors he's like you know there's there's about a, a million ants per person on the planet so you know a there's a lot more of them than us. And when we get them all together, they can kind of open any door. So they, there's a scene of yanking open these big steel doors. And and it, it does a nice job of showing why Ant-Man is actually kind of cool. And why this is a guy that you could kind of take seriously as a superhero. Um, and it gets to the end and there's this computer that has a code on it. And it's an impossible thing, right? There's no way to actually answer this code. And... Ant-Man actually says to Tony, he's like, oh, it's like the Kabashi Maru, right? Which is from Star Trek. It's the impossible test and all that. And Tony just looks at him and says, oh, you're one of those, right? And move on to the next scene. And Ant-Man then breaks into Tony Stark's apartment, which is what Tony actually wanted, wins the contest, wins the job, and everything seems like it's going to be going great. He's going to be able to spend time with his daughter. And that's really what he wants. He wants to be at the end of the day, he wants to be a good dad. That's why he's doing this. So, cut to a couple pages later. His wife, or his ex-wife, has had enough. She doesn't want him, like, around, because he's kind of a fuck-up most of the time, and is moving his daughter to Miami. So, from New York to Miami. And she says, like, look, it is not safe here. Shit happens in this city regularly. We should get the fuck out of here. Like, your daughter is not safe. This place is always getting sucked into a different dimension. Or invaded by aliens. Or whatever the fuck else is going on. And she raises a fairly good point. Like, it's one of the things I've always wondered about reading comic books. Like, Marvel, DC, whatever. Like, why would you live in Gotham City? Yeah, if you're no, in the DC a, universe. Like, why would you live there? And if you're in the Marvel universe, why would you live in New York? no reason go to dubuque iowa there's never anything that happens there no you know that's true I mean? like so and that's you know that's her point we're gonna move down to miami and we're gonna go stay with family and that's it so ant-man has to give up his job he doesn't tell tony he's giving up his job so he kind of embarrasses tony at this big press conference which is probably going to be a plot point that we'll come back and touch on later but the the thing that really sold me on this book is was all of that was fine and it's you know a nice little story but that's all shit that i knew you know and for me that that wasn't enough to hook me to keep going forward but the thing that sold me at the end of it is ant-man flies himself down to to miami goes into a toy store and buys a replica of tony stark's apartment right like apparently they're selling like a little play set that you could play with your action figures on. And it's Tony Stark's apartment. And he's got, like, no money, no job down in Miami. He doesn't know what he's going to do, but he wants to be with his family. And the thing about the pim particles that make you grow or shrink is that you can use them on other people. So he picks up his daughter, shrinks her down, and 
they spend time in this little playset apartment and that's where he's going to live for right now which is kind of ridiculous but is really fucking sweet at the same time that is kind you know, of adorable it's kind of cool right like i can't afford anything yet but i can do this you know this is a thing that i can do for you so i have an apartment it's a box up on top of a building but it doesn't matter as long as we're together and I get to see you and spend time with you, then this is how we'll do things, you know, for right now. And it was like, that's really charming and really sweet and really touching. And that's enough for, for me to want to keep reading it going forward. That, well, that and the fact that in the story they call uh, Hunger Games, the, you know, novel and uh, and movie series, that they make reference to the fact that it's a ripoff of uh, Battle Royale. And I was just like, all right, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> I like that. That's that's cool. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, that is cool because it humanizes him to a point where you can relate to him a bit. And it's not, you know, a millionaire relying on his powers to make money. Hank, uh, not Hank Pym, sorry, Scott Lang doesn't really have that luxury with what he has. So he's trying to make the best of what he does have, and that's just to spend time with his daughter. So that's a really cool plot point that they're throwing in there, and it makes him a more relatable character to just normal people. Yeah, and I, and that's the thing. Like, Scott Lang was not not a genius. Um, he's not dumb, but he was not a super genius. He's not a millionaire. He only became Ant-Man because he stole Hank Pym's suit. You know what I mean? Like, he stole the costume. He was a bad guy to start with. So, yeah, to, to humanize that character and really put that kind of personal spin on it, I was like, all right, right on. I'm, you know, I'm in for a while. Yeah, I could I could dig that, man. That's really cool. Well, and, you know, at the end of the day, Marvel is going to need some sort of, you know, comic book package, some sort of graphic novel to put out when the movie comes out in a few months. So, there you go. Yes, it's Get quite it. perfect. <laughs> Get it before the movie comes out. It was good stuff. Did it have Paul Rudd's face? Uh, not necessarily, Change but my you can mind, tell I don't want it. that you can tell that they're trying to, uh, handsome Scott Lang up a bit. You know, he's always been drawn kind of, kind of soft. And, uh, this one, he's a little bit more, uh, more rugged, good looking kind of character. That's because Paul Rudd is a ruggedly good looking character. He certainly is. He certainly is. So yeah, Ant-Man number one, good stuff. Pick it up. Shout out to our listener, Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. Oh, huge fan of the show. Obviously, obviously. We the, get free tickets to go to Ant-Man in a few months. Yeah. The guy won't stop emailing. It's no, kinda, never, almost, never. It's embarrassing. Yeah, it's, embarrassing it's, it's ridiculous. And, Paul, really, you got to stop with all, all the, the half-naked pictures we, in your Ant-Man costume. We really don't need them. There's no girls on this podcast yeah, no, that want like, to see. You know, just, just calm down. The the first ten were great. They were fun. I was like, oh, that's funny. Like, And now it's just kind of... It's borderline harassment. It is. It is. And you know, you know? if it, it, we're just gonna have to start putting them in the the, uh, the spam box, Paul, and we really don't want to do that because <laughs> we love you as a listener. <laughs> well, that was weird. <laughs> but true. Yes, a hundred percent true. All the time. <laughs> it's, it's a Paper cuts podcast with the hard hitting facts. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. So I guess it's time to go over what I read. Yeah, what'd you read this week, Dean? Because I like, read one of them. I'd like to start off with the bang and go with the one that you read, and that was Mortal Kombat X. Now, Drop is it Mortal Kombat? It, it's 
It's <laughs> Mortal Kombat uh, X and done. It's Mortal Kombat 10, right? Like that. It it is based on the tenth game. If yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, you know what? I don't know why I said X. I think I heard someone say it at work yesterday because I said that I read the book. And they're like, yeah, Mortal Kombat X. And I was like, yes. Yes, that one. That book. That that game. <laughs> That's the one. Okay, but I mean, anyway, just uh, so to fill you guys in here, this is a prelude to what will happen in the video game. And this is, I believe, after the events of... I want to say most of the Mortal Kombat games that are out. And there are a few big different details here that are really going to surprise most people, I think, or at least I hope, because I was surprised when I opened up the book. So, spoilers, if you haven't read it yet, go out, read it, and then come back so we can discuss it and we don't feel like assholes telling you everything. (laughs) Okay, so first things first, and you you open the book to the, the Indicia page, and, you know, it, it tells you it was written by Scott, oh, I'm sorry, not Scott, Sean Kittleston, and the art is by Dexter Soy. And, I, I mean, it's a really nice-looking book. It's a DC book, so most DC books are pretty on point as far as their art goes. Uh, but what you notice is Scorpion, right on the Indicia page, doesn't exactly look like Scorpion. He doesn't have the 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 blank eyes or you know sort of the the skull face with his mask off he looks like a regular human being like a ninja more or less which is cool so fast forward a little bit into the book and is mainly following Kenshi uh, who is the blind ninja with telekinetic powers for his I want to say Justice Sword did I get that right I think so he was. He was one of the guys. He like he was in the first um, like 3D Mortal Kombat, I think, for the for when like PS2 was out. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, was he, his first appearance. He's awesome. Yeah, he caught on really quick, and I mean, his move set is really cool in the game. But I guess they're trying to flesh out a bit more of a story for him because he doesn't really have one. So what happens in the book is that Kenshi finds out he has an illegitimate son somewhere, and that this clan called the like Red Dagon. Red Dragon? Red Dragon. Red Dragon Clan is going after the kid to try and bring Kenshi out of hiding. So he goes to the girl's house he had the son with, and she takes out a bunch of these Red Dragon ninjas who are trying to find the kid, uh, but she ultimately uh, gets killed herself by taking a shot to the stomach with a pistol. Um, So he gets there too late, and while he's uh, still searching for the kid... Uh, you know, it goes through a bunch of the backstory about, you know, what happened and everything and, you know, how he's just been on the lookout. And, you know, this this is something that kind of woke him up to something he needs to take care of. It's his, it's his son. You know, this is blood. He needs he needs to try and figure this out. So he ultimately finds the kid with the help of the na- uh, some neighbors and he's on the run from the Red Dragon Clan. So he's he's got the kid in his arms and everything. And he finally makes it into uh, this forest uh, while the Red Dragon is still pursuing him. They're literally right on his ass now. So uh, one of the Red Dragon gets a lucky shot into Kenshi's, I want to say his calf, and he finally Uh just crumples, and he tells the kid to run and run as fast as possible. And the Red Dragons are like, you know, it was stupid to try and hide from us. And Kenshi says, not hiding, trespassing. And then all of a sudden you see the chains come out of nowhere 
and fucking you see a scorpion's harpoon just go right through someone. And it's probably one of the coolest moments in a comic book that I've read in a while because Scorpion's one of those characters that just reverberates with you for so long. Like you see him in the Mortal Kombat game and it's like that character, that guy is awesome. And there's no doubt about it. Like any of the Mortal Kombat ninjas are really cool and they had this mystique about them which makes them neat. So Yeah, we like those characters Especially in the first two Mortal Kombat games, those characters really fucking resonate with people. Like, and I, I can only speak for myself. Like, I kind of fell off of Mortal Kombat after I think, like, I didn't play much of Mortal Kombat four. Um, and then like I played the PS two one, and then or one of the ones on PS two, and then I haven't played a Mortal Kombat game in a while. But when Scorpion shows up, I'm like, fuck yeah, it's Scorpion. I love that guy you not it's just such a cool character so i i was super happy to see that and the thing is and this book again spoilers he's painted as a good guy and the reason for this is kenshi sort of hints at scorpions battled his demons and put aside his vengeance to become a better person and it seems like he's leading his clan the shirai ryu i think it's called yeah. Um. In, in you know, uh, a a quest to just better themselves, and what Kenshi was ultimately trying to do was get into this territory to save his son and ultimately put him under Scorpion's protection, which is, I mean, really cool to think about that. You know, these two ninjas are get, getting along in a friendly capacity, where Scorpion before has been no one's friend. He kills everyone, he claims their <laughs> souls, and that's it. So again, to see one of my favorite characters in more of a good capacity is kind of neat because I thought I'd never see that. I just thought Scorpion was always going to be bad, and that was the end of it. But back to uh, the, this fight scene with Scorpion. After he pulls this guy in with the harpoon... He literally punches a fucking hole through his head. And <laughs> in this one frame, his fist is halfway through his head and the eyeballs are hanging out the back. And I was like, this is awesome. This is everything I'd want in a Mortal Kombat uh, book. And I mean, really, there's nothing not to like here, you know, because it, it's got the gore. It's got a pretty decent story for the most part because, again, it's revolving around strictly Kenshi for the time being. Uh, and then... You know, it, it pretty much closes it off at that point where, you know, Kenshi's story ends when this issue ends, which is nice. And then it starts moving on to something else on the last page, which, again, brings in another ninja. It brings in Sub-Zero. And, uh, again, Sub-Zero looks a little different. This looks like Mortal Kombat 2 Sub-Zero? I think I got that right. Uh, I think so. With no mask. So... You know, again, we're we're used to seeing most of these ninjas with the mask, and I mean that might have been just for the technological abilities of the systems at the time. That you know, I mean, all these ninjas were really just reskinned uh, for the first three or three or four Mortal Kombat games. You had what Smoke, Scorpion, Sub Zero, Ermac, Reptile, uh, Reptile Rain. yeah, Rain. You know, so that's six ninjas, and they were all incredibly similar in looks. It's just they had different movesets, so it was really about yeah, it. Yeah, it, it was the same actor that played them, so they just reskinned it. Yeah, yeah. but just changed the color. Yeah, and again, th there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, in future installments, they've really come into their own as uh, actual characters. I mean, mainly Scorpion and Sub-Zero. They've, they've 
certainly been on two different sides of the playing board most of the time. And this book seems to be no different because in the last page, it seems like Sub-Zero now is trying to get this, this, this dagger, this cursed dagger from the Red Dragon Clan. And he, he kicks down the fucking door and everything, and he goes to grab the dagger, but it's, it's not where it's supposed to be. So he's like, someone's in this room with this dagger, and I'm going to find them. However, a laser blast to the back later has Kano right behind him, and he scratches his eye up really good with the dagger. And it seems like something's happening to Sub-Zero because his eyes light up like fucking Christmas trees. And... <laughs> Yeah, it, it it seems like he he might turn to the other side of the the playing board towards the evil side, which again is interesting because we have a, a personality swap for the most part. It seems like Sub Zero is going to be the antagonist in this book, and Scorpion will be the protagonist, which again I'm sort of excited about because it's always been the other way around, and I'm really kind of pumped to see what happens here. And cool shot at Kano too. Uh, he looked really good in this book. And, I mean, just the one frame he was in. He looked like that dirt bag from the fucking Mortal Kombat movie. And I was like, yep, that's the Kano I know and love. And that's the <laughs> that's one I the wanted one. to see. Uh, so, I mean, Dan, I, I just kind of went through the book for the most part. But what did you think about it? Um, I I really liked it, actually. Uh, like, I'm kind of stoked. It's, it's going to be a weekly book. I believe it's coming out as part of the DC digital books that they do. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's coming out Sundays. I, so I think you're I, right. I, we only read the first issue. I didn't. I didn't see if the first or if the second issue was out yet or not. Um, I was surprised. I and I suppose I shouldn't have been at just how fucking bloody it was. I mean, because like it is, it is very graphic in its depiction of violence. And I know Mortal Kombat is, but this is a comic book, you know. So like, I wasn't sure they were gonna go whole hog on it, but it's pretty fucking violent. I mean, like, w like you said. The uh, the guy that Scorpion puts his fist through his face is Shu uh, Hao, who is one of the characters from from the games. He's one of the like big guys in the Red Dragon Clan, and like I I think it was uh, I think it was the the Deadly Alliance one where where he made his debut, and like he works with Movado, who is just a badass character, and they mentioned him a couple times in the book too. So like I'm really stoked to see Movado show up in this book, but um. Yeah, like, I, these characters, like, the games, for me, have never played as well as, like, the Street Fighter games. You know, they're just not... When I go for a fighting game, I don't necessarily want to play Mortal Kombat at, at a high level. Like, Mortal Kombat's just a little bit more fun to jump into, and but not take it seriously. But the characters themselves are are just really solid, and they're just really cool characters, and... I wasn't sure if this book would be any good or not, but I'm really excited to read the next one. I, I was pretty impressed, and the best thing of all is if you're going to buy the book, it's 99 cents. I, you, yeah, you really can't go go wrong with 99 cents. Yeah, it's it's a dollar book, you know, and that, that and it, it's not like it's a half a comic or anything. It's a full comic. It's 24 pages. So, yeah, yeah pick it and up. the artwork was was absolutely gorgeous. Dexter oh, Sawyer was yeah. killing it. On the, yeah, on this book. yeah. I I was I was really impressed with the artwork. It really depicted everyone well, and like I said, you get new looks at the character. Now I don't personally know if this is going to be gospel for what's going to happen in the video game, but if it is, I'm in, man. This seems like a really cool story, and you know, it seems like these characters are going to have totally different looks than they have before. 
So that's also another cool point to sort of jump in right now before the game comes out, especially if you're a Mortal Kombat fan. There's no point not to. Yeah, it's it seems like it's going to be awesome. The game itself looks really cool. So, you know, 99 cents, you really can't go wrong. True that. Okay. All right, let me uh, let me fast forward to the other book I read here. So I was, you know, really thinking about what book would be good, and I mentioned this one before, and I figured this would be another good time to bring it up because of just the one-off issue that this was, and it was sort of cool to read. And this was Lobo number four, uh, and it's called Face Off, and literally the cover is Lobo and Superman just inches away from each other, like, screaming. And it looks really, really cool just from the cover. And to be honest, I, I would pick it up just, just from the cover, to be honest. It, it looked really cool, and I, I I actually enjoyed it. It was neat. It was a brief team-up between Lobo and Superman. And what it is is Lobo's looking for this, this villain that is trying to slingshot Earth and use it as a bullet to kill a gigantic all-knowing being uh and lobo's like no this can't happen i was hired to stop this i gotta find this guy and i gotta take him down however this brings him to earth and this brings him to metropolis now lobo and superman have never ever ever gotten along and it's no different with this lobo than it was with the last lobo superman doesn't trust the uh zarnians i think they're called zarnians i i think so and uh, what it is is they already got into a fight once in Superman Batman where Superman basically threw Lobo into the into orbit, I think it was. He literally just picked him up, threw him into orbit, and was like, I had enough of your shit. And, you know, Lobo's <laughs> more or less uh, unkillable. He, he can regenerate at an incredibly fast rate. So even though he was in orbit, he came back down and he was fine. So... Uh, Superman's like, I thought I told you not to be here anymore. And he really gets right in front of Lobo's ship. And he's about to fire on Superman, which would have probably been a bad idea. But he had passengers <laughs> who were trying to help him in this this uh, chase for this villain who's trying to literally slingshot Earth into some person's forehead. <laughs> and uh, um, w- what it is is, you know, Lobo explains the situation like, listen... We might not like each other, but there's a bigger thing going on. I'm getting paid to stop someone from killing this being, and you want them to stop because you don't want them to use Earth as the bullet that's going to kill this guy. So Superman's like, all right, we'll work together. All right, so fast forward, goes through all this little monologue, and they're kind of throwing quips at each other and everything. And Lobo has this monologue moment where he says, you know... If Superman was more about making money, he put all of us hired assassins out of business because the guy has more powers than anyone else combined. He could just kill anyone he wants. And I mean, it's true. Who can stop Superman? <laughs> you know, he could literally just punch holes through anyone, throw people into the atmosphere, has laser eyes, well, ice breath. He, he really is ridiculously overpowered. Yeah, he is. And, you know, I, I, I think Lobo just tries to put that point through is the fact that if Superman really was to, you know, kind of go off the hinge and, you know, wouldn't mind killing people, he'd put all the assassins out of business because who would be more efficient at killing people than Superman? So, you know, after he makes that point, they finally find who they're looking for. 
and Lobo is right about to kill him, has the gun pointed right at him, and Superman's like, no, you can't do that. And he has this moment where Superman puts his hand on Lobo's shoulder, and uh, Lobo flips him over his shoulder and says, what the hell are you doing, man? That was my kill. You just let him get away. And the look on <laughs> Superman's face while he's on the ground is like, bitch, did did you just... Did, did, <laughs> what? Motherfucker? And, like, I, I'm pretty sure he, he doesn't say, he doesn't curse or anything, but he's like, D- what, what did you just, I can't, and then all of a sudden, it's literally the ceiling of the, the building that they're in exploding, and Superman tackling Lobo through, like, 13 levels of, uh, concrete, blasting him out of the sky, <laughs> and them just kind of, like, punching each other and whatnot, till... Lobo realizes, you know, you just let this guy get away. Uh, what the hell, man? This is my kill. And Superman's like, listen, it was about me saving the world. You know, I no one dies on this earth by my hand or while I'm involved. It was about saving the earth. So they split up, and Lobo talks to his operator, who, I mean, kind of does his backhand stuff while Lobo's on a mission. And he's like, did you get the package on that guy's ship? And she's like, yep, three, two, one. And then you see the guy look uh, talking to his his operator in space. And all of a sudden, you just see, boom, and the ship's gone. And that's how the book ends. And I was like, you know what? Good Lobo book. Didn't didn't really you know <laughs> have like any of the silliness that the old Lobo had. And I think that's maybe what this character sort of needed was a more... Uh, serious take on it because you know an interplanetary assassin is really cool but Lobo's the old Lobo is just one of those characters you couldn't have all the time you could only take it in moderation this new one is a bit more serious and has a lot more depth to him that makes him really really cool and a lot of fun to read and again I know a lot of people are gonna say old Lobo was the best and really that's nostalgia talking because this new guy while he doesn't exactly have the funny chops that uh, the old Lobo has, he, he still has a really good amount of personality to him. And the book by itself and the stories that's going on right now are really, really fun and really cool to read. Uh, the art was probably the only thing I really had a slight issue with. And it's not so much the entire book. It's just so much when they, they drew Superman. Uh, mainly because Superman is a very burly, square-jawed character. And the way they drew him in the book was almost half-anime style. And it just doesn't work for Superman. You can't slim him down. You can't give him a baby face or anything. He needs to be that that square-jawed, rugged character that everyone knows. He is the symbol of of power in on earth or really anywhere he's one of the strongest beings in the entire universe and when you kind of sort of do that to him it takes a bit away or it, it takes a bit of his 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 presence yeah yeah you're right i, I that thank you dan uh, it takes a bit of his presence away uh, he doesn't really seem as intimidating anymore which i mean yeah, that's you... that's what they were trying to put across you should never really fay up Superman all that much. You know, he's he should never be drawn. It it just it's it's the the archetype of that character is 
you know, like you said, square drawed, barrel chested, built like a brick shit house. That's that's what he is. Yeah, and it's it's really something hard to change. I mean, even in other books with different styles, like I mean, Superman, Batman, he's drawn entirely differently, but he still has that essence to him where he seems intimidating enough to still be Superman. And that didn't really carry over in this book. They did give him definition as far as muscles and stuff go, but it was in a smaller package. And to be honest, he just seemed kind of goofy. And I'm I'm not going to say yeah. it was a terrible thing. It just wasn't what I was expecting. Right. I don't know. I, I still haven't read any of these Lobo issues. You, you've, you're making me kind of want to read this one. Because you're right. Like, the original Lobo is so fucking 90s. Like, it is just as 90s extreme as it can possibly get. Just over the top in every aspect, from the visuals to the writing to to the coloring to the gore to just goddamn everything about Lobo was, was over the top. And I guess my thought has been this whole time, if, if you weren't going to do Lobo the way that he has always been done in this kind of just over-the-top, really exaggerated way. Why not come up with a new character? Like, why why still make this Lobo? But if you're saying it works, I may give it a shot. What it is is they're saying that there's only two Zarnians left because Lobo's planet made a, a metasimilar fate to Krypton, so it, it it's not there anymore, and there were really only two of them left. And the, th- the thing was is that old Lobo was giving new Lobo a very, very bad reputation. He was still around, but old Lobo was just being a dick to everyone, and that's not what fucking this new guy wanted. You know, this isn't what needed to happen. And, I mean, he dispatches old Lobo very swiftly and with some incredible amount of precision it was pretty cool to see in the first issue just them going Mm -hmm. at it like right in the first few pages uh so yeah i mean you know if you want that story archetype with you know uh an interstellar assassin it still works you know that hasn't changed what has changed is the you know he's humanized a bit he's not just this you know douchebag which Lobo was I, there's no other way to describe it it was a fucking douchebag and it was hard to like him and the thing was that's why he was always a great villain but he could never have his own solo book was that reason is no one wants to read right. the adventures of a douchebag well anyway <laughs> for a long amount of time it might be fun for one or two issues but it would never make it in his own book so that's why I think yeah. they went with this new character which by all means I'm welcome to new stuff because this is the new 52. So, yes, you know, if they could do something new and try to revitalize an old property, by all means, do it. Right on. Yeah, so I think we hit all we needed to for today. Dan, did you have anything you wanted to mention? Uh, No, I guess other than the fact that uh, next week, I suppose, all of us will be talking about the new Star Wars book coming out from Marvel Comics and all 862 variant covers that are being released. It's it's fucking insane the amount of variant covers that are coming out, but new Star Wars book next week. I'm really looking forward to that. Well, Dan, and, I mean, you know, you yeah. you just you you 
telling me I have to read it? Okay, fine. Fine, Mr. Big Shot. Whatever. That's cool. You do. This isn't the Paper Cuts right. podcast. Star this is the Wars, Dan baby. Wears the Pants podcast. <laughs> You're goddamn right it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let, let, me, uh, let me wrap this up here. Remember, guys, if you want to check out any of the comics we were talking about or get to any of our social links, whether it be Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, it's all in the show notes below. Uh, besides that, remember to check out the Garden State Comic Fest, which is coming soon to South Jersey, and it'll be much crazier than last year. There's going to be all kinds of awesome stuff. They got this new area in Menon Arena that they're really hyping up. We'll be there. We know that for sure. So, I mean, if you want to come see us, say hi. I'm sure you can come find us on the floor. We will be a, a actual presence there. And, I mean, hopefully, you know, if you want autographs, you want to take a picture, you want us to do your, your voicemail for you, we'll be happy to do it. I mean, Dan does a great voicemail. so I certainly do. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, come come find us on the floor. But definitely be there. There's going to be tons of great artists, so many cool little things going on, a bunch of great autograph signings. And, I mean, of course, the vendors there will be magnificent as always. So, with that, we'll see you guys next time. Remember to keep reading your comics and never stop believing you have superpowers. <laughs> Just don't, don't try and jump off any buildings. Don't stop you know. believing. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Later.